But Siyata Dishmaya, let's continue with our lessons on meeting with the King of Kings. This is getting very exciting. I hope you guys are really, really feeling a connection to your God because it's an awesome feeling to have. And you guys, you know, hopefully you're, you're little by little baby steps, baby steps. Nothing happens overnight, but if you continuously do the Ishtalut that we've been teaching all since throughout this whole, all these lessons, and you're doing as, as we're telling you to do, then there's no reason why you aren't already feeling that closeness. There's no reason. There's no reason. It's Baruch Hashem. I mean, I mean, I know you guys are here because you're real and you really want to be connected to your Creator, and you you really need and want to feel Him in your life constantly throughout every day, so that you can understand that your purpose really in this world is solely to be attached to your Creator, be close to Him, and be in the Vegas to Him, and that's why we're here. So, with that being said, now let's move on, and we're going to talk about the avoda, the avoda. Of acquiring these ideas that we, 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 we've been uh, discussing and so we already provided the key that the purpose of life is closeness to Hashem and the Vegas to him so at this point we're going to try to describe now how you should strive to acquire this knowledge so it's always felt in your heart and gradually comes to becomes to be the dominant force affecting all of your emotions with Hashem's help is not Hashem so the avodah of acquiring true desire is the root of everything. When there's a, a strong and true will, it's said that nothing stands in the way of will. And so when the will is weak, the entire structure lacks a foundation. A person has to, therefore, strive to truly want to be close to Hashem, not merely say so outwardly, like lip service. And this, this applies to anything you're working on, anything at all. You have to really, really want to obtain it. So we're, we're dealing now with the root of all wills, the most inclusive will, which is to be close and attached to Hashem. It's, and it's not to say that, that, let's say, if you haven't toiled and you have no desire to be close to Hashem, but that your will is not powerful enough, you know. No, if you, if you truly want, if, 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 if you truly don't want, truly, but you only want to like to want. I hope you understand that. If you truly don't want, but you just want to like to want, then you lack the foundation known as rasong. And the entire structure is weak. Mamish weak. So most people get stuck at a certain level because they don't have a strong will. They don't have that strong rasong to continue and to advance. That unbreakable passion to just move forward and so the beginning of your avoda is to ignite the ratzon the will more and more and how can you do this how can you strengthen your ratzon so Zohar Kadosh likens the body to a dying ember and the soul to a fire if the body does not burn brightly with the light of the soul it has to be struck must be struck in other words the ratzon is hidden and covered over by the physicality of the body and the control the body has over the soul. And so the body has to be struck and purified. And this avoda of fasting, self-affliction, it's not relevant. It's not relevant to most of us in our generation. As our Sephora and Akadoshim stated already like 200, 200 years ago. So we're not going to deal with this aspect, okay? That's no longer relevant here. Okay, so there's another method which was adopted by many Sadiqim. During their periods of his dobe, his uh, his bodedus, it's solitude. We'll cry out 
and scold themselves for their lack of true son to become close to Hashem. And they would scold themselves repeatedly until their hearts would open up somewhat. And this is also not simple. So first of all, you have to know how to do this, to cry out from the inner depths of your heart, not from your mind. And so you have to also need an inner fortitude so you can truly scold yourself. And one who's not strong will neither scold himself or honestly or might become de dejected and bitter. And certainly you can't grow through sadness and self-depreciation. It's not possible. And so for us, the most effective method is for you to designate a quiet place. Listen to this. Please stop what you're doing. This is how you do the avoda. This is what needs to be done. You designate a quiet place to speak to Hashem in your own language. And for example, you, you must say, maybe you'll say, you could say, Master of the world, you know that I want to be close and attached to you. However, my ratzon is too weak. My willpower, I don't have willpower. I know that my entire purpose here is to become close and attached to you. And this is dependent on my really wanting it. In my present state of not really wanting it very much, it's impossible for me to attain that closeness to you. Please, Master of the world, help me and plant in my heart a true ratzon and desire to be close to you. And in this fashion, each person could elaborate in your own words according to the best of your ability day after day. And this method has two great advantages. Number one, speaking in this manner itself inspires true ratzon. And number two, since you're praying for it, Hashem is going to hear your prayer and He's going to help you so that He would really, you would really want to be close to Hashem. And if you stubbornly persist in this for a long time and you keep asking to have that ratzon to be close to Hashem, Hashem will surely help you and He will develop a true, you will develop a true ratzon, mamish, just just be persistent and keep doing it and just be, be stubborn about it. So if you can't even do this, then you have to regularly listen to a Sadiq who speaks about this from the sincerity of, your, of his soul and continue to do so until you can inspire yourself. And ultimately, however, you have to come to the point where you can inspire yourself because inspiration that comes from the outside cannot last. It doesn't last. And so here you have three possibilities. Number one, you can, you can inspire yourself through self-affliction and fasting and through scolding yourself for not having enough desire to be close to Hashem, which we're not doing here because this is not a generation for that. Two, you can beg Hashem a great deal every day to help you to truly have proper ratzon. And three, you hear at Sadiq speak about it until you become inspired. So each person has to choose the method, the method that's most appropriate for you to, to awaken your soul to really want to be close to Hashem. And as long as there is no true will, no true ratzon, the structure of avodas to, for Hashem was going to be weak. Because ratzon is the foundation. If there is true ratzon to be close to Hashem, there is a foundation. If not, has shalom, the foundation is lacking and the whole structure is in jeopardy. And you have to be very careful with this. Very careful. I'll give you an example. A true evidence of Hashem, a true servant of Hashem wastes hardly a moment. He's totally involved in Torah, Avodah, acts of kindness. So to an outsider, it seems impossible. How, how can one live with such pressure? And the answer is that as long as there's, there isn't a true Ratzon, it is pressure. Because it goes against a person's will. But when this person's Ratzon, he is fulfilling his will. 
because that's his ratzon, and there's no feeling of pressure at all. And so in the beginning of your avodah is to have a true desire, so that your ratzon to be close to Hashem is true, it's going to be true and strong. And in fact, according to Hasidut, when a person merits entering the inner essence of ratzon, then you find oneg, you find delight in fulfilling the ratzon. You actually are, it feels good. You get pleasure from it. And there's two stages here. At first, you have to truly desire this with a strong and true will, Ratzon. Even though the Ratzon cannot be fulfilled yet due to the fact that you have not yet merited to delight in Hashem. And after that, after that, however, you're going to be able to fulfill the Ratzon, which is the pleasure of delighting in Hashem. But, but, but you have to first pass through the stage of unfulfilled desire unfulfilled ratzon. Then, when you truly desire it, almost every moment, you're going to ultimately enter into the inner essence of ratzon, which is to delight in Hashem. And once you have merited a strong ratzon to be close to Hashem, it's impossible to fear, to have to have that true fear of sin is going to surface within you, because you're going to fear, the only thing you're going to fear is becoming separated from your Creator. And so, before, in previous lessons, we described this form of avoda. So at first, you have to pray often for the privilege to feel this fear and to avoid sin. And you should also involve your senses in the avoda by standing next to another person's possession and saying, first to yourself and then to Hashem, I could take this object, but I won't, because I wish only to be close to to Hashem. And you should employ many practical examples in many different kinds of ways. And you should accustom yourself to examine every deed and ponder and then say, this deed will bring me close to Hashem. But that deed would distance me from Him. And the entire day you should proceed in this way. You should always consider and check if the matter at hand is going to bring you either close to Hashem or far from Hashem. And through thinking about this constantly, then the concepts are going to gradually become fixed in your heart and your whole life is going to become a search just become one big search for ways just to be close to Hashem you're naturally you're going to naturally tremble and be afraid of anything that distances you from your creator if you continue to think in this way you can reach the state where your heart will for the most part be gripped by the search for closeness to Hashem and another principle in attaining Yira is that you have to be refined and quiet. Speaking loudly contradicts bashfulness and Yira. So you have to accustom yourself to be refined and act calmly. Haste and boisterous behavior also contradict the attainment of Yira. And this is, another, this is another broad, broad topic, which we're not going to talk about right now. So the, above the level of Yira is of, is, is of lacking perfection, which is, is level three. Are yira due to Hashem's greatness, which is the fourth level, and yira of sinning, which is the fifth level. And so to be on these levels, you have to sense that you're in the presence of Hashem, but to attain that level, you have to first work on the quality of Ahava. And this is also the order in Mesilat Yishayim, which first comes saintliness, and then higher yira. And so we're going to now, Bezat Hashem, Bezat Hashem, we're going to... Um, we're going to discuss about what it is to have a Havas Hashem, what it is to love, to love Hashem. And so I just want to talk about something here real quick because we have a little bit of time and I want to bring this in, you know, um, for, you know, it's the eighth kind of Hanukkah and I want to give you an awareness, okay, about God consciousness. 
Okay, so one of our four, our most awesome ongoing experiences is our relationship with God. He's everywhere at the same time. He's always within each of us. We know that he sees us and hears us even though we don't see or hear him. So the words of the psalm say it best. He who plans to hear, he will not hear. He who forms the eye, he will not see. So the truth is that because God is with us, he's, he's eyewitness to our good deeds as well as to our wrongdoings. And what is most reassuring though is that we walk through the challenges of life even, even in the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil for you are with me. We're never alone. And so although God is everywhere, he has special spaces, holy places where he looks forward to seeing us. In the times of the temple here in Jerusalem, uh, you, we, we met with him throughout the year through our offerings, our korbanos. We became close to God. In fact, its root word means close. And so our synagogues today are modeled after the holy temple and designed to make us feel that we're in God's presence. And many synagogues display this wonderful saying in a prominent place. Know before whom you stand. And others post before the Hazan, I have set God before me. And while these reminders are important in the synagogue, they're even more critical in our homes. But we're not in the aura of, of a holy place. Before we speak to God anywhere, we need to remind ourselves that we are standing before him. Before we open our lips to utter a prayer, we must stop and ask God to help us speak to him. My master, open my lips so that my mouth may declare your praise. And this idea of God consciousness goes to the very heart of what it means to be a believing Jew. In fact, Rabbi Adin Steinsalt suggested that our very emunah is challenged when we pray. Are we truly conscious of God's presence in our lives everywhere we go and especially in our synagogues? Do we believe that he's our personal God who cares about what we think and do? When we rise to pray before him, do we really feel that we're having an audience with the king of the universe? God consciousness is not only part of our religious life, but part of our everyday life. Rabbi Alexander Rosenberg, the founder, the founding director of the OU Kashu Division, personified this ideal, and in doing so, he established the highest standards of professional and personal integrity in national Kashu supervision. The story is told that in the early years of the OU's Kashuta, a food producer seemingly attempted to bribe to bribe Rabbi Rosenberg to allow him to use the OU uh, logo on his product label prior to going through the process of kosher certification. And don't worry, Rabbi, he said. If you take care of me, I'll take care of you. And to which Rabbi Rosenberg replied in Yiddish, Ud vus zunk gut. And what would God say about this? And Rabbi Beryl Wine paraphrases their exchange. And what would you say if the IRS were recording our conversation? But we believe that God is there and truly cares about what we say and do. We must be conscious of his presence in our professional and personal lives. And most certainly when we pray to him, that awareness will bring us closer to him. And there's actually one time of the year when, 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 when Jews and synagogues around the world are extremely God conscious. And that's the high, the high holy days. And during these days of awe, we become acutely aware of God's presence in our lives. But from the point in Piot of Leel Orach Din, we can appreciate the death of judgment of these holy days. To God who prepares man for judgment, to the one who tests hearts in the day of judgment, to the one who reveals the depths in judgment, to the one who knows thoughts in the day of judgment, to the one who suppresses his anger in judgment. God tests our hearts on the day of judgment. He reveals our thoughts and feelings, our subconscious motivations and the challenges we face. In his mercy, despite our setbacks, God suppresses his anger and judgment. 
And there being there may be no moments more powerful, no experience more moving in the entire Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur than the prayer known as Unesane Toket. Let us now relate to the power of this day's holiness. And this prayer vividly describes the proceedings of the heavenly court. In Shemaim, on these most holy days, we declare that God knows everything about us and witnesses everything we do, even what we're thinking. He writes and seals our deeds and remembers all that was forgotten. Even the angels are frightened because they too will be judged and fear will not be vindicated in the heavenly court. Indeed, all of mankind passes before God like a shepherd pastoring his flock. Each is judged individually reflecting his uniqueness. And as we say on the Yom Hadin, on the day of Rosh Hashanah, her faith is inscribed. And on the day of Yom Kippur, it will be sealed. And how many will pass from the earth and how many will be created? And so what lessons among many can we learn from this powerful message? The idea of the lamb passing before the shepherd makes us realize that each life is always entrusted in the hands of our shepherd in heaven. And on the one hand, we realize our frailty and vulnerability, uh, how many illnesses and disasters, for example, can transpire and take us away from this earth. On the other side, we take comfort in realizing that life, as chaotic as it may seem at times, is ultimately under God's control. Life is not haphazard as it appears. God is behind everything. And when we picture in our minds, eyes, lambs, Passing before their shepherd, we see all the sheep as the same. There are all individual animals, but they have no history or destiny. We look around us in shul on the day of judgment, and we see not only individuals like who make their mark in, you know, in the present. We see the merits of their parents who made them what they are today. And God has the ability to see the merits of their descendants still unborn, who have yet to make their mark on the world. So the notion that God sees the big picture, all our generations before and after us, gives us a greater sense of faith and trust in God's ultimate judgment. And we also find a greater sense of hope and comfort on this awesome day when we reflect on the two ways that God relates to us. So particularly during the days of awe, God relates to us as the king of judgment. Strict measure of judgment demands that each of us be accountable for our actions. And when we face the king of the universe, he has every right to expect us to live up to his highest standards. And after all, he has given us everything possible. He gave us everything, our physical and spiritual needs, even the gift of life itself. We owe him everything. He owes us nothing. But on this holy day, God also reveals himself as our father in heaven. He recognizes that even after his child tries to perfect himself in this service, his child is still frail and weak, and man may not always be able to reach such a high standard. And when there's a conflict between the king of the universe, who demands strict accountability from his subjects, and our father in heaven, who finds merit in the deeds of his children, God declares, I do not desire the death of the wicked one, but rather that the wicked one return from his way that he may live. And so our rabbis describe our synagogues like many temples. They're mini betamidash. They're, they're holy places. And our synagogues possess many of the elements that made our temple in Jerusalem so holy. They each feature such a, a holy ark that contains the Torah scrolls. The ark and the temple contain the holy tablets of the Ten Commandments. The eternal light before the synagogue ark symbolizes 
the light of the westernmost candle in the menorah, which burned perpetually. And the fact that many of the representative symbols of the temple are reproduced in every synagogue is not accidental. It's only fitting that many features of the temple are found in every synagogue. Every synagogue is invested with holiness and should be treated as a mini temple. And since the holiness of the temple and the synagogue are paramount, we have to treat the sanctuary with respect and dignity at all times. In the synagogue, we're not allowed to eat and drink, nor allow programming that's not appropriate for a holy place. And what remained of the holiness of the temple after it was destroyed and the Jews were exiled? What remained? So according to our Rabbeim, before and after the destruction of the holy temple, God's presence is on Temple Mount. And now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name be there forever and my eyes and heart will be there at all times. But even afterwards, when God exiles his people and God pleasures that he will not abandon them, he will not abandon us in the words of Ezekiel, although I have removed them far off among the nations and although I have scattered them in the lands, I have become for them a small sanctuary in the lands where they have come. And so the words... I have become for them a small sanctuary means that God creates a small sanctuary for the Jews in their synagogues and study halls. And even though he exiled us, even though he, he has not abandoned us, he will be with us forever. And even though God's promised to us that he's always going to be with us and we are his eternal nation, many still ask the ultimate question. If God is there, where is he for me in my life? People ask we ask these things, right? So, the, in, in the profound, in, in, in the profound, the profound Rebbe Menachem Mendel of Kotsk once asked, "Where is God?" And he replied, "Wittily, wherever you let him in." So, what did the Rebbe mean? He meant that God may be found everywhere in the world. But first, we have to open our hearts. We have to open our hearts to let him into our lives. Personal prayer means that we have a lifelong relationship with our God. It means that we should feel open to sharing our deepest thoughts and feelings with God as if we were talking to our closest friend and confidant. And even though you might think that God knows what, what you're thinking and feeling, he still wants you to reach out to him in a conversation. In fact, prayer is called service of the heart. And we have to welcome God into our hearts and our lives in order for our prayers to reach Him. And this is the essence of the verse. They shall make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. And this, which is interpreted as, they shall make for me a sanctuary so I shall dwell among each of them in their hearts. And what does that really mean to bring God into our hearts and to our lives? In a parable, we might compare God to a person who has a great influence on our lives. And he's always erected us on the right path and intuitively has impacted our decisions. And we feel compelled to try to please him for we know that whatever he advises is for our own benefit. And we feel that he really cares and he has no hidden agenda. God is that influential personality who cares about us so much. However, truth be told, God has a hidden agenda. He does. He wants us to realize our full potential, both in our worldly calling and in our spiritual mission. When we make a spiritual sanctuary for God in our hearts, our homes, and our lives, we're inviting God to be a constant presence in all that we do. Powerful, powerful. This is powerful information. We're going to continue because we need to learn what it means. What does it really mean to have a havas 
to have a love for God. What does that really mean? So I hope that these words and these lessons are sinking into your heart because that's really where they belong. You don't want to internal, I mean, intellectualize. We've been doing that all our lives. We're trying to internalize it in our hearts. Baruch Adonai Leolam Amen Ve Amen.